Welcome to the Modernizer Die Podcast, CFML News Edition, where we keep you up to date with everything going on in the Cold Fusion community. We'll share the latest news on events, releases to engines, frameworks, libraries, and tools, as well as spotlighting quality content from the community. Welcome to Modernizer Die Podcast, CFML News Edition. It's episode 104, May 18th, 2021, and today I have Luis Mahano with me. Howdy, Gavin. How are you? Doing good. Good to, to, to have you here, and uh, I'm sure everyone appreciates a fresh face on the podcast. Brad's on here every week. Yeah, we don't, so. we don't, we don't miss Brad. <laughs> we don't miss that guy. <laughs> yeah, you got to give him a chance to do a little bit of work now and then, right? So... Exactly, exactly. Okay, well, first up, let's thank our sponsors, Order Solutions, uh, the makers of Cold Box, Command Box, Forge Box, Test Box, and almost every other box out there. And uh, without them, we wouldn't be able to do this podcast. So uh, thank you, Autis. Thank you, Luis, for uh, letting us do this awesome podcast every week. Uh, we appreciate it. So if you guys want to say thanks back to Autis, uh, one of the best ways is to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. That way you'll actually see when uh, we're going live here. And also, we're, we're hoping that uh, we can reach that 500 mark. We're pretty close to the 500 subscribers. If you guys can help us get there, that'd be awesome. Also, uh, we have a, a, system, a service called CFCast, uh, which has free and paid accounts. And it has awesome new content every week. We'll tell you a little bit about that content coming up soon. But... That's a good way to support us, even if it's just a, a free account, uh, having more people there learning about uh, all the awesome things in Cold Fusion through our video services is a big deal and would appreciate that. And also, uh, 102 Cold Box HMVC Quick Tips and Tricks book is available on Gunroad, and you guys can uh, grab that, and that's another way to say thanks back. So, And the next thing is uh, we have awesome Patreon supporters, don't we, Luis? Yes, sir. So we have our patreon.com. I'm trying to look for the link here so I can put it on the channel. Um, and we have 37 patrons. So that's pretty cool. Uh, providing about 84% of the funding for this podcast. So that's pretty cool. We're already starting to brew the ideas of what people can sponsor next. Uh, we're thinking even more podcasts or actually just to Forgebox hosting. So we have, uh, we do a lot for the community and it's great to see people support us. And of course, if you do a bronze package, you get a CFCast subscription and a Forgebox subscription. Yeah. So thank you so much for assisting us and helping us out. Yep, for sure. Okay, so let's get into the news and events. And uh, one of the first things up this week, um, fresh off the off the book so fresh brad hasn't even done the blog post yet he's still working on it but uh command box 5.3.1 has been released and uh there's lots of cool little fixes and everything in there and a couple of new features but one of the one i just wanted to spotlight real quick is the sql command which is brand new in 5.3.1 and that's thanks to scott steinbeck and of course brad um but what they allow you to do now is you can actually like cat a json file in pipe it into the select the SQL command and do select ID, common name, where name like, and then use, you know, percentage, uh, percentage signs and everything. And then even do an order by and a limit. Basically, you can pipe JSON into the data and then it'll do a query of queries like filter on the fly, which is pretty neat. And so that powers a couple of things. There's a new table printer that Scott's been working on with Brad. And also, there's a new import-export module that we'll talk about a little later as our Forgebox module of the week. So that's just one of the cool commands that's in 5.3.1, and there's some other pretty cool stuff, too. 
So I was pretty excited to see that. That's that's pretty neat. Just you know, catting files in it makes so much easier if you want actually doing some log crunching or something like that. You can pull in all sorts of file formats and just do SQL straight off off the file. It's pretty neat. So have you yeah, seen that I, one yet? I gotta talk. I gotta talk to Brad to get his semantic versioning in check since he's adding new versions as a patch level. We gotta <laughs> we gotta reel him in through the ears and tell him that that's breaking semantic version there. Yeah, I know. I mean, he, I know he had a couple of regressions he was patching, but at the same time, he's got new features he's throwing out there. So, yeah, yeah. I guess it should have no, jumped what, to five point four, right? If there's more features in it. Well, five five four, yeah, exactly. So, but yeah, I think that the the most important was was the regression, and this was due to the update to the new wirebox, and it's it's kind of tricky when we have several of these boxes because the 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 wirebox version that he upgraded internally was a major one, right? And, and obviously we, we do, uh, you know, when we do major versions, we do have the, the ability and the chance to let go of certain things from the past, right? And that's what happens with Wirebox where the providers used to have a .get method and that got deprecated, not deprecated, it got removed finally into a dollar sign .get to avoid collisions with uh, .get methods, right? Uh, so unfortunately this affected uh, modules, right? So modules that were built for command box uh, I think like the .env environment was affected by it uh, since it was using providers. Um, so basically anything could have been affected. So we're trying to do a patch there to make sure that people uh, don't get into these issues. Uh, but obviously, you know, there's so much stuff that sometimes these, these regressions just pop up and nobody basically reported it. So it was up to us to do it. Yep. But found it, fixed it. So good stuff. So... Brad will have that blog post out here pretty soon. After the fact, let's let's clarify that it was reported yeah. after it was released. Yeah, yeah, no problem. And that's that's why the testing is so important. Everybody's feedback is so important. So thank you for everybody who does do the testing and then obviously report when you do find something, so we can get it taken care of. Yeah, exactly. So yep. Yeah, I know it affected some users, but at the end of the day, if people do not report things to us before we release, it's it's impossible for us to know every single aspect of it. You know, um, so it's it's really important for the community to pitch in, and if they find something pre-release, that's when we can fix it. At, you know, fixing yeah. it after the fact usually brings headaches. Yep, and usually the more people testing it, the more common use cases are picked up. And obviously, we all test it. Brad gets on our case as well, saying, "Is everybody using it? I'm going to release it soon. I need this testing." So he's in the our site channels on our case as well. So it's uh, he's on everyone's case. So. But that's good. Usually it's pretty pretty clean and uh, not too many issues. Uh, another release was uh, let out there for a fusion reactor. So 8.7.1 was released. Um, so basically they have improvements for the chat and Redis in the sync tracking, which I'm not mm -hmm. even sure what that is, as well as various bug fixes. Um, but they did have a webinar uh, last week, which we'll cover here shortly. So we'll share the recording. So maybe uh, they'll highlight some of the, the new features in, in that as well. I know they're talking about moving from the premise to the cloud, but a lot of times, you know, you can't help but talk about some of the new features. So um, it may be a little bit in there, but you can go to fusionreactor.com and then go to download Fusion Reactor to get the latest version there. And if you're using the command box Fusion Reactor tool, it should automatically update because they're pretty Johnny on the spot with that stuff. So uh, if, if it isn't there right now, it probably will be in the next day or so. We also had a cold box validation 3.1 release. So you want to tell us about this? You got some pretty neat things in here I've seen. 
Yeah, definitely. So there were several things on the pipeline that we were working with. Uh, Will De Bru I can't always say his last name, right? You have that expression. Bruin. De Bruin. Right. De Bruin. So, but I call him Bill. I love Bill. And uh, we've been working together with um, for CV validation for a while. Um, there's still more to come, especially for localization and internalization. But um, there were a few things left. Uh, I grabbed them, and I needed a lot of stuff for Content Box since you know we're we're you know heading down here the the release candidate route. So introduced several new concepts. The first one was a more functional approach to validation, uh, as you can see from the blog post. It's basically just. Um, providing these callbacks so you can concatenate them and change. So you can provide an on error and an on success uh, closure. And it just reads really nicely. You can see what's not validated and what validated. And this gives you that decision path very nicely instead of a, a traditional procedural approach, right? Which is nothing wrong with it. It's just, it's just different, right? So when you see the functional approaches, uh, they're very clean. They're, they're very useful, uh, especially for, for, for visualizing exactly what happens, right? So it's just like using those, uh, the Ajax libraries or where you can say then and, and catch and stuff like that is providing that functional approach. Uh, we also have created several new validators. So six new validators. And like I said, I needed these for, uh, for content box and for time box, which is one of our secret SaaS services will be coming up soon. Uh, thanks to Eric. And actually I think it was you also that created that array item validator a while back but we never added it to the core. So now it is. So it allows developers to actually apply constraints to every single item in an array. And so this is a really useful uh, validator if you wanna make sure that all the incoming uh, items actually apply the, the same consistencies, right? Uh, and then a lot of uh, uh, date validators like after, after or equal, before, before or equal, or date equals. So it'll give you nice things where you can say, okay, if the start date has to be before the end date and the end date has to be after the before date, the start date. So it just gives you these nice constructs for you to work with dates and, and validation, right? Then Eric also sent me uh, a few pull requests for required if and required unless, so it can be more flexible and looking into uh, just single uh, fields. Uh, and then we introduced the uh, new mixings, uh, thanks to Eric Petersons as well, who wanted these in usage. So since it's, we are a validation library, we introduced three new uh, expressions. Uh, one is validate has value, so we can actually uh, check for nullness or length on simple values, arrays, queries, structure objects, very useful. Uh, validate is null or empty, these are for simple values. And then um, I really wanted to introduce a really nice way to do assertions. I think this comes from TestBox and doing so much BDD and TDD um, that I introduced just the assert expression. So basically allow it to pass an expression that has to evaluate to a, to a Boolean value. And if it's true, then it will allow it to pass. So the, the, the code of execution will continue. Uh, however, if that expression evaluates to false or null, then it will throw an assert exception. And this is really useful, especially when you don't want to be doing if statements and then throwing exceptions. You can actually just say, you know, assert connection is not null. And then if that's true, then it continues. Else you can choose your own message of exception. So uh, bringing this native, which is native actually in Java, not Java has a native assert function. 
that you can enable or disable as well as PHP. So I just wanted to bring that over to CFML because it's just useful, very useful. Very cool. Yep. So we got a lot of a lot of cool stuff in that release. So um, yeah, good to see that out there. Uh, I like a few of those methods, especially like you say. There's a lot of boilerplate we end up doing ourselves. You know, just uh, you know checking the validation. If there's an error, do this. I've always do that, and yeah, it definitely makes the process a little more functional, smoother. So. Very cool. Okay, next up, we also have a state of the CF Union survey. Um, so this has been out for a while now, and I think we mentioned it a few times, but um, you know, really, the state of the union survey is really important for a lot of people. Uh, it helps us figure out what everyone in the the CF basically community is using inside of CFML. So you know, we ask questions about frameworks and tools and and different things about. Um, you know systems so let me share my screen here and just give you sort of a quick little highlight of what's in there but um i mean it's really important like for a framework developers like ourselves like who's still using which versions of cfml you know like this question here may seem kind of funny but when you're worried about how many people are using something that we may stop supporting we want to upgrade you know cold box six are we going to drop this version or that version you know who's still using which cf versions etc so uh, it's kind of nice to see um, we've got versions as well, um, but a lot of the stuff about testing, who's testing, what testing frameworks are they using, are they using Docker or not. So a lot of really important things in the survey. And um, the, this, basically we're, we're at the point where they're going to start giving some details out, but I think they have a couple of hundred people already. I think last year we had almost uh, five or six hundred um, people that basically responded or whatever. Um, so, yeah. Okay, so basically, you guys are listening and watching, so I'm sure you guys are all actually going to do the survey. So hopefully that can, um, um, you know, that's, that's going to be done for sure. But what we need is we need your help to get the word out to everybody else. So if you know other developers that don't listen to the podcast or don't uh, follow people on Twitter, try and reach out to them. So send them an email, uh, ask them to fill it out too, because it's really useful information. So really appreciate if you guys can to do that for yeah us. we use that information a lot for keynotes and all that information so it's it's really useful i think everybody should just fill it out it'll take you five minutes and uh it, it really helps out to know the, the state of things so yep for sure so just wanted to remind you we'll probably try and remind you as we go forward with that too uh also we have uh, another reminder about Adobe's Docker images, um, Bintray shut down May 1st. So if you want to get them, you can go to the ColdFusion downloads page now and you can download a, a TAR file with it. Um, no word on if they're actually updating to like Docker Hub or another Docker uh, service, uh, registry service. So right now, um, if you want to use the ColdFusion uh, images from there, um, you have to download them directly from Adobe. Uh, command box still works the same way so if you're using command box it doesn't matter but if you're using adobe's uh, images you'll have to you'll have to do that so hopefully they'll have some news on that soon but it didn't mention it was a temporary solution i just assume it is so hopefully we can get that fixed here pretty soon yeah i, I really <laughs> it really makes them look bad in all reality so i hope they really are listening and they they really get this fixed because um you know, everybody is in Docker Hub, you know, even Oracle, right? So you can get Oracle databases from there. So, the, the, you know, they might come with the whole legal issue. I think Oracle has more legal issues 
than anybody and they're there so they actually make you you know do a, an, an agreement first and then you can actually download it through docker hub so yeah please please uh, those need to be there but if not they know they'll people know the alternatives command box can run them so hopefully hopefully it'll get our issues soon yeah for sure okay so next up we had a reminder about the fusion reactor webinar reach for the clouds with fusion reactor so we have the recording up there on YouTube. It was just posted this morning. Um, and so that one, they're basically talking about the, the difference between on-premise version that they had, and they still support versus the cloud version, which if you're using Docker, or if you have different numbers of servers, uh, the cloud version is really good. And it's really nice to be able to, you know, sort of look at a group of servers together. So if you have more than one instance running, uh, the cloud version is really nice because you can look at just that one node or you can look at all of them combined. So it's it's kind of nice for, for that. So um, the cloud service is uh, a really neat service. Um, yeah, so definitely check out that that video. Uh, the Fusion Reactor, great. We love their products. We love them. They're good people. So definitely check that out. Yeah, I'm kind of curious. Uh, this is, I think, it's the first time I don't see Charlie on the on the chat explaining things. So yeah, probably told us what reticent uh, means. Yeah, well, today I'm wondering if uh, everyone's over at uh, Google I/O because the Google Keynote's on right now, and there's quite a few other things happening. So. Maybe we're our chat is a little light today, so. But, yep. Okay. Next up, we have the Adobe Webinar series for the API creation and management. So there was seven in the series, Luis, and so far, uh, it looks like we've had the the March twenty fourth, twenty fifth, April twenty eighth, twenty ninth, May twelfth, and thirteenth, and there's one left. May twenty fourth will be the last one in the series. So. It's been a great series. They do have a couple of the videos posted on the website. There's two right now. Hopefully they'll get the rest of them edited and put up there. Um, but if you if you do want to check those out, there's a couple there. I think the first couple of videos. Um, but yeah, Brian Sappy's been doing that series and it's going really well. So uh, we've got links in the show notes for information about the series. And then you can obviously register and the recordings. Like I said, there's a few up there. Hopefully there'll be more coming soon here. So, but next up we have yeah, another very, webinar. very in depth and detailed if you follow that. So great content. Yeah. Uh, like I said, I'm really looking forward to getting the rest of the videos posted so I can catch up on the ones I missed. So really, really excited about that. There's always something else to learn. Some other tricks or tips that someone else is doing. So as much yeah, APIs exactly. as everyone's you know doing these days. I'm going to make a contact here just a reminder that maybe we can contact Ishore and maybe we can do webinars uh, for that API, Coefficient API Manager on CFCast. Maybe we can have our CFCast series for the API Manager. Okay, cool. That's a good idea. Okay. Um, next up, we also have another webinar. So um, Brad's going to be on May 21st, Friday, May 21st, 11 a.m. Central. Brad's going to be talking about what's new in command box 5.3.x. So the 5.0 release, 5.1, 5.2, 5.3, and all the sub and patch releases are going to be uh, showing that off. Now he is working on a, a CFCast series for this right now. And so he's got lots of content, but he's going to be showing off some of his uh, favorite features during this webinar. So if you want a little preview of what's coming in that series, this is definitely a good one. 
I'm always amazed the stuff that Brad can jam into these releases. I don't know how he gets any client work done with the amount of stuff he puts in the command box. But uh, hmm. we better go check some logs <laughs> and see what's going on. <laughs> yeah. I know a lot of the client work does uh, drive his ideas and, and features in here, so it's always good. But yeah, he's got a lot of good stuff. So that's uh, next. Uh, actually, this Friday. Wow, it's already the 18th today. I keep forgetting. So this Friday. So uh, you can go register. We got this link here to, to register for that. And then if you want to keep in, keep in touch with all the other um, points, our webinar page at autosolutions.com slash events slash webinars have some. And they're actually available up on CFCast as well if you've missed any of the previous Autos webinars. Okay, so that's our news for today. Bandwidth has been restored, and Luis is back to normal size for those watching. Sorry about that. We'll blame the weather, right? Yeah, the weather here has been very nasty, so yeah. Yeah. Okay, so next up we have our CFCast content. So you want to tell us a little bit about this uh, new series Nolan's been releasing this object-oriented programming. Yeah, definitely. So I, I work with Nolan on this to get the outline uh, going, uh, curated the content. Uh, it's been a, a long process right now. Obviously, it takes time to get these things going. And uh, I think we started in November of last year to curate the the actual outlines of of what I wanted in this in this uh, in this course. And for me, it was very important to get this course done, uh, especially with the the history that exists in Cofusion where the majority of developers are still not very comfortable with object orientation. And if they're doing it, they're just applying one, one approach to orientation. And I really wanted to make sure that we could empower developers that have been doing CFML for a long time and, and showcase them in, an, in, an, in a, an approachable way on how to take that knowledge that they have about Infusion and move it into object orientation line, right? So we go very deep in design patterns and making sure that people can know uh, the software design around it, the software principles around it. Uh, so we wanted to take a, a really nice step into this, uh, not do it just you know, half-heartedly. We actually did invest a lot of time in making sure that the, the outline was correct, right? And taking them from step to step to, to completions. And, and we're also thinking about a part two where we can introduce basically mostly things focused around Wirebox, because that's the natural evolution that once you start working with object orientation, you know, working with objects becomes really, uh, you need to manage them, right? And that's where dependency injection frameworks come in. So very excited about this series. Uh, Nolan has done a, an impeccable job on the videos. Uh, he's such a talented teacher, and I, I cannot be more excited about the, this uh, series uh, I think it will, if people, Cofusion developers take this seriously, they, they can really catapult their knowledge for the next 10 to 15 years. Yeah, that's really cool. And remember, the, the first four videos in the series are actually free. Uh, the rest of the series is you have to have a paid subscription. Um, but, you know, the first four are free to check that out. Um, uh, you know, definitely Definitely pretty cool. And then this week we released the VAR scoping, static properties and methods, and the encapsulation and cohesion videos. And then uh, coming out later this week, we have the abstractions, single responsibilities, and features of good code design, code reuse, extensibility, and testability. So, uh, you know, a lot, of, a lot of good content there. I think we're already into like the 
think we already have 10 videos out in the series and we've got three more coming this week so a lot of good content in there and then we also released the last three videos of the command box zero to hero workshop so the cattle servers and service manager cf config and then guidelines for your code so um that whole whole workshop is basically up on cfcast now if you're a paid member you can access all of those videos so um, i think that's the second full workshop we have up there now so cfcast has got lots of great content um you can go check it out at cfcast.com yeah um, i actually was reviewing uh the series for docbox and documenting your components which is going to be something really really cool um michael Bourne is taking spear there and he's already got uh four videos done and they're, they're really excellent so really really nice and also another important aspect for developers that they don't they they don't like to document well this will actually build the documentation for you so it'll be a very very nice one yeah docbox is great and then we have some uh, logbox 101 videos coming soon up and running with quick and then um, more what's new with Coldbox 6 as well. I know there's a lot of videos in production right now, so we'll be bringing you more of that coming soon. So we'll let you know as they come on out. Okay, so that's our CFCast update. Next up, we have conferences and training. So Adobe's ColdFusion Developer Week, uh, June 22nd to the 24th, and that's going to be online and free. And uh, they actually updated their website today. So let me pull that up for those who are watching. And I'll show you. They've got some updates on there. So they've got the counter. So 34 days, 10 hours, 2 minutes, and 6 seconds. To, so you better register now. they got a little information about it. But they've actually put up some of the speakers up here. So um, you see that there's... Pretty good little lineup of speakers on that list. So, uh, Brian Sappy, Brian Claus, Ben Adele, Charlie Earhart, Dan Wilson, Dave Ferguson, um, myself, Luis, Mastercata, Pete Freitag, Raymond Candom. So, a lot of uh, a lot of good speakers in that list. Uh, I actually have some scheduling issues, so I'm, I may not be able to do that. They were discussing uh, options for, for that right now. But... Um, definitely good content there you guys should check that out um, it's free again and it's basically like a mini cf summit so uh, definitely worth checking that one out so that's going to be again june 22nd to 24th and luis can you tell us what you're talking about yet do you do you know what you're speaking about it there or is it a top secret i am i am so Unfortunately, the last uh, Fusion uh, Summit that I did was a little fiasco where Adobe Connect did not like my Mac, and it was almost virtually impossible to do it. So we kind of kind of got out my my cowboy style hat and basically did a new Zoom connection <laughs> and our webinar there. But uh, it it was all over the place, unfortunately. So it will be a, re a repeat. Um, it will basically be uh, building your apps with Box. So the cool thing will be that I will be able to showcase actually the full API at that point because it's done. So um, it's going to be basically showcasing all the power that you can do with the headless CMS uh, and Cofusion. So very excited about that. Uh, hopefully they won't be using uh, Connect or if they do, just they got to make it work. Yeah. So we'll see. I think for some reason we were using Zoom last time at CF Summit, but 
I don't know if that was because it was a conference software was connected to it. So it looks like they're using vconfix. Um, that's the name of the site that you can register. So I'm not sure if it's special conference software and they'll have something built in or not. But yeah, yeah. Well, but yeah but, I'm gonna make sure that I get with them at least a week in advance and making sure that that actually works. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Okay, so in case you missed it, AWS Summit Online was last week. So the AWS conference, uh, a lot of great content there. The second day was more case studies, but the first day was more services. They had a lot of sessions, and if you go to go to the event now, you can still register and get access to the videos for that. So you can access them on demand. So uh, that was a, a good conference. And this week, which is probably where half the people that are usually in our chat, um, you know, heckling us, uh, they're probably at Google I.O. right now because it starts today and it goes for three days. It's online and free for everybody. So there's, you know, a lot of good content there, you know, products like Firebase and Flutter. Um, obviously, Google's got Chrome and developer tools and other things, too. So um, a lot of good content at that. And that is free. And if you go to events.google.com slash IO, you can find out more about that. And I'm wondering if I just go there live right now, do we see a video or do we have to actually sign in? Oh, look, watch now. So if you guys want, yep. And they have interpreters too for sign language, which is pretty neat. So yeah, so it's, uh, it's happening right now. So I'm sure when you guys are done here, tune in, find some out with that. Um, but yeah, so up next, I think they have the developer keynote, uh, and then they have what's new in Android and, uh, what's new in Google play. So a lot of cool stuff there. So that's happening cool. this week. And then next week we have Microsoft build. So Microsoft's not the same Microsoft we used to know, right? Louise as developers, <laughs> Microsoft is not a good word to say if you're developing, but. But uh, they got so much good yeah, stuff no, to now. To me, they're, they're doing a fantastic job. They're, they're just kicking it, man. So uh, I really enjoy using their products now. I cannot say that uh, that Windows has bought me over yet. Uh, I still have lots of gripes with it. But the rest of the tooling, I'm, I'm really happy with it. Yeah. So, um, so Microsoft Build, obviously, there's .NET stuff. But there's other stuff like VS Code. I mean, it, their whole GitHub acquisition is... Uh, pretty big so a lot of a lot yeah. of interesting stuff there so if you go to mybuild.microsoft.com uh, you can find out more about that conference and again that's next week and um yeah a lot of great stuff some uh, pretty big speakers if you look through the list um but yeah a lot of different things i like the way they break sort of break things down at the channels too but they have digital swag too so i'm kind of curious oh, cool. i wonder what that is but um but yeah Again, three days, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. So, um, and then starting May 13th. So already you can actually go and schedule your, your streams and figure out what you want to go see. So that is next sure. week. Okay. And then, uh, one of our favorites, DockerCon is going to be next week as well. So May 27th. So it's just a one day online conference. And, uh, as usual, they have lots and lots of, uh, um, basically, rooms or i guess uh tracks and so you guys can pick your the content that's relevant to you so again online and free and some pretty big names on this list as well here and if you can see watching online you can look at their agenda there's a lot of stuff so 
they always have a, such a amount of confidence. It's crazy. Yep. I know. It's really enjoyed the conference. I'm kind of looking forward to when they go back in person because, you know, there's just so much good stuff and yeah, it's just not the same online. But um, again, that's another great conference next week. So May 27th. So docker.com slash docker-con-live 2021. And then coming up in June as well, we have the Apple um, Worldwide Developers Conference as well. That'll be June 7th through 11th. So we'll tell you more as we get closer. Now for Audis, we have a couple of conferences scheduled for later this year too, Luis. And so we have uh, Into the Box, which we've been going back and forth a little bit about if it's going to be online or in person. We're planning online, 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 but everything's changed a little bit lately. So uh, we sent out a survey. You want to give us a little sneak peek into what the survey's saying yet, or is it still yeah, top secret? Yeah, definitely. I, I, no, no, no. We can put the survey, actually. I'm going to put it here so people can actually fill it out, and then we can put it in the show notes. Uh, it's basically deciding if people, you know, what com comfort level they would feel if they if we did the, the conference live here in Texas. Um, the whole COVID situation here in, in Texas uh, is really it's, it's really good, right? Um, they're, they're, the mask mandates are pretty much almost over everywhere. Uh, I think that COVID deaths uh, we've had zero in the past two months here. So it it the 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 COVID situation in Texas per se has been fantastic in the sense that it's not crazy anymore. Um, lots of freedoms returning. I think businesses are 100% open. Um, the restrictions are, are, are basically being removed. Vaccination is really high. So that's why we were like, oh, maybe, maybe we should consider doing it in person, right? And obviously it's not now. It wouldn't be now. It would be until September. So that even gives us you know, June, July, August, September, almost four months from now, where the situation, God willing, will be even better. So uh, anyways, the survey is up. Very, very simple survey. It's just to gauge your comfort level if you would come here to Texas to the conference for two days or not. That's pretty much it. Uh, the conference is going to happen no matter what. Uh, so th the question is, are we going to do the same model as last year or we're just going to do it live? That That's the 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 survey to gauge so need your help people can go in there click the link also in uh we will put it in the show notes but it's important for us to kind of gauge comfort levels uh when it started it was kind of like 50 50 it was very divided and now it keeps the pendulum keeps swinging left and right so uh we just need more feedback yep for sure and then there's a little box you can say why too because some people have said you know, the company just won't let them travel and other people, you know, it's, it's, it's up to them on, on their thing. And like I said, we're not judging anybody. Obviously you look after you and your decision, you got to make the best decision for you. We're just trying to see, you know, if there's enough people to make it worthwhile um, and sort of go from there. So it's obviously, yeah, a lot of people are saying I'm vaccinated, I'm coming, you know, <laughs> yeah. and other people are like, I'd love to, but yeah, work can't, you know, whatever. So, yeah. So you know, no yeah, judge. And, and it's difficult. You know, it might be that the situation is is is, is okay, right? But the issue is that the companies are still not releasing, you know, their employees to actually travel and do training, right? So there's there's still a hesitance on that area. So so we understand that area when there's some people that are vaccinated and they're like, okay, where is it? I'm there, right? Yeah. Uh, I wanna I wanna not stay in my house, right? 
so we, we see all, all spectrums, and if we can get it, it good enough reasoning, we'll, we'll kind of do it. Now, as far as the Orchis team, most likely we're all going to be here. So that will be a, a nice thing to have where we can all be together. Yeah. And uh, as Phil mentions in the chat, there are so many travel restric restrictions. And that's definitely true on international travel. Inside the U.S., it's uh, a lot less restricted. And it depends on where you're leaving from and going to. And um, But, yeah, with the CDC coming out and saying that basically they're, you know, dropping all uh, inside mask restrictions coming up. But every county and state can obviously still have their own rules. Uh, we just, we're not really sure what's going to happen. And then obviously this is later into September. So I'm sure Memorial weekend will be a big one. Uh, the last big, uh, surge was right after Thanksgiving and Christmas. Yeah. So we haven't had any big surges lately, but Memorial weekend might be the one if it's going to happen. So I know California is waiting for June 15th just to sort of see what happens right after that before we open up almost hundred percent. So but California has been waiting on just the fact of waiting. <laughs> yeah, that maybe that too. But and also, <laughs> you look at a few graphs. We're pretty low on the um, vaccination scale too. So, but yep. But anyway, each to their own. Um, but yeah, that's what we're looking at. If not, it'll be online, and we'll have the call for speakers out pretty soon. But obviously, the call for speakers matters if we're doing online or not. So that's why we've been pushing it back a little bit, trying to make that decision because. Uh, yeah, we can't have somebody from Europe speaking if they can't travel here, if we do it in person. So, And then obviously Into the Box Latam in December, um, that's on the schedule as well. And then I guess we'll, we'll be waiting to see on that one as well. Are you planning to just do that one online just to be safe for international travel reasons? Yeah, well, mostly since this occurs mostly in Salvador and neighboring countries, um, at this point, that might seem that it might be more of a reality than anything, especially since it's all the way until December. And okay. uh, Salvador at this point is still okay. It's not doing really bad at all. So, so again, we're, we're, we're monitoring the situation, we're running surveys as well. And But at this point, it, it's, it, this has a higher percentage to be on site than anything. Okay, sounds good. Well, that wraps up our conferences for this week. So let's go look at some blogs, tweets, videos of the week. So we have a, a few here from Matthew Clemente. Uh, he's been working with Postgres a lot lately. He's been sharing that. So it's kind of, uh, kind of cool. Um, and apparently thanks to his ignorance, which I don't think he's an ignorant person at all. He's pretty <laughs> smart, but, uh, he says Postgres is, um, an ongoing source of, you know, today I learned. So. Um, basically he's talking about intervals in this first one and I'm going to share my screen for those watching those listening. Sorry. But, um, basically he was talking about how to use intervals in Postgres, you know, so, uh, th these are really cool. I've used these recently with a client too. So, you know, previously you would do select star from book where completed at, and then you'd put, you know, a date you'd say before then you have a string 04 slash 18 slash 2021 and put the, the time in there, basically create your own string version of a timestamp for SQL to read. Uh, and that's okay, but it kind of gets tricky when you start doing some crazy math. But with intervals, you can do things like uh, select star from book where completed at is now minus interval. And then in an interval, you can put all sorts of things. And his example has 30 day. And so basically the code now minus interval automatically calculates 30 days in the past 
And it, as he said, this was like a mind-blowing moment for him. Because not only can you do days, you can use milliseconds, seconds, minutes, hours, days, weeks, months, years, decades, centuries, millenniums. Um, it's very much like some of the JavaScript, you know, date modules where they try and give you more fluent ways to, to use it. So if you do an interval and then in quotes, put a number and then your, your unit, uh, it'll take care of a lot of that for you. So he gives a few examples here. Like if it's completed at is, is greater than now minus interval one year, 137 days, 12 hours. And that would actually work. Um, pretty crazy. So um, just give some examples here. I really like that. It's, it's, it's very cool because it's more human. You know, it's easier to think in, in intervals than to actually think in the actual date formats. So yeah, yeah. fantastic. I, I, I'm wondering if my SQL has intervals. That's pretty cool. Yep. And obviously you can use it not just on where's, but on inserts and everything too. And yeah, the, the SQL that he has is just so much more readable using the interval. Yeah. So oh, they actually do. That's great. So my SQL also has intervals. Very nice. Yeah. yeah. And that's one thing yeah, I've noticed so you too. Just say interval, one day, three days, minutes, years. Very cool. Did not notice. Yeah. And see Why what, haven't we been using this, Gavin? That's I, nuts. I, I know. That's the thing is uh, with Postgres, what I've learned with this client is that a lot of the cool stuff that they have, other people have too, because Postgres is really well known for sticking to the SQL standard. So if it's in the SQL standard, they adopt it and they use it and and for that reason, other people may have it too. So, um, yeah, some other Very stuff nice. that I, I like used that. with them, I was like, ooh, they have these two in SQL? And I started using them over my SQL as well. So, yeah, it's been it's been a fun experiment, you know, working on other projects, especially with developers that, you know, know the system inside and out. So we have also uh, the blog post from you, which is about the CB validation release. So we did mention that a little bit, but just wanted to... I like that blog post again. So, and again, thanks to Will and Eric. Um, but yeah, if you want to do the what's new right here, you can go straight to that. And that has all the all the changes specifically with that version. And then most of our documentation you will notice is a release history, and it has the version. So you can go back to specific versions and you know see what's new and and just those specific versions if you're looking for upgrades and and that type of thing. So it's good to know. Okay, so also a quick little one here. Zach Spitzer um, shows a little interesting try-catch trick using CF Echo. And so I don't know if you'd seen this one before or not, but if you do a try-catch in Lucy, if you actually want it to output the error nicely using the error template, you can just try something, throw it, and then you can just echo the exception, and it'll output it in the, the normal you know Lucy error catcher. Just pretty neat. So I thought that was a yeah. I thought that was pretty pretty neat, especially for capturing. Um, you know, I'm thinking like bug reports or things of that nature would be very nice. Yeah, so that way you know it, it treats it like it nothing happened that the catch didn't happen, but you can do whatever you want around it and then just echo it out like normal. So yeah, that's pretty cool. Very cool. Okay, so this was an interesting one. Uh, we actually missed one of Adam's blog posts last week about. Um, CF wheels. Um, Adam was talking about how he didn't like their their testing tool, and so he's got a new one here. And let me share my screen. But basically, CF wheels. He's running test box instead of rocket unit for his unit tests, and uh, he basically discussed the merits of um, you know his own 
albeit third-party testing framework with CF Wheels. And his article was called Testing a Horror Story. So you can probably figure out his opinion of Rocket Unit from that. <laughs> so we didn't want to bash on another system, so that's why we didn't go over that uh, blog post. But if you want to read it, you can here. So this is basically showing how he got TSBox up and running in, in CF Wheels. Um, so if you're using CF Wheels and you want to look at TSBox, uh, he shows some of the things that weren't so obvious to him. Because, you know, TSBox obviously works great with Coldbox because we built them together and they work great. That's part of the way you built them, right, Louis? So everything just works. And we have uh, test helpers for testing handlers and, you know, different base test specs depending on what you're trying to test. And so this blog post goes through and, you know, gives you some give you some some sort of tips on what he found not obvious and how you can go ahead and test so so yeah yeah i think it's you know we when we build test box obviously as a replacement to my unit um you know i remember when i was adding the bdd approaches and all that i mean call box is extremely test centric right um we are huge proponents of both bdd and tdd and you know that's just the way the framework is built, right? So uh, when we actually built TestBox, you know, Coolbox Four was built <laughs> because there were so many regressions that we found and so many issues that we found because we were finally applying uh, the majority of the test coverage. And I think the final test coverage that Brad had uh, on the report was like eighty-seven percent for Coolbox or something like that. So we are very big proponents of testing. I love reading and geek out on all the all the blog posts that Adam writes about testing, uh, because obviously that's extremely dear to my heart, right? I, I know the value of it firsthand, right? Uh, when you make a small little change and it regurgitates everywhere, right? And you, you're like, oh my God, that was just a small change, right? Yeah. But without test coverage, without applying a, a driven test-driven approach, it, it's really like basically driving by. Uh, you are, because you're, you're basically just waiting for the crash instead of actually being able to detect the crash and actually resolve it. So, um, you know, that's, I think, a, a big difference. And I, and I, I go through, I read it, and then I, I see all his the loops and hoops he's trying to make sure that to get testing going. And, and I know how different it is because, I, I, you know, we had to do it for cold box, right? So, yep. uh, but, uh, yeah, so I, really nice blog post. He goes really in, in detail. I think he's still going to be messing around with it to make sure that he can get it working, but. Uh, I'm glad he's using TestBox. Yeah, for sure. It's it's great insight, and I, I thought the the highlight for me was it just shows us how lucky we are using Coldbox of all those little things built in and tweaked, and you know we have that from the scratch. Obviously, you can test other apps that aren't built in Coldbox. That's one thing with TestBox; you can test your legacy code and everything else too. But yeah, sometimes you got to jump through some hoops, and we try to make Coldbox, uh, you know, jump through those hoops for you, make it easier. So. But yeah, so thanks, Adam, for that. So next up, we have one um, with Ben Adele. And this one is talking about how Git base tag data works differently in uh, Adobe ColdFusion and Lucy. So this was interesting. Yeah, I heard Brad and you talking about this on last week, right? Yeah, we talked a little bit about uh, some of the differences here. And so he basically goes into more detail. And as Ben talked about here, He's been using his ColdFusion custom tag DSL for HTML emails at Envision, and he's been rolling it out. It's been doing great. And so he wanted to start using it for his blog. But of course, Envision now runs on Lucy, and his uh, blog runs on Adobe ColdFusion 2018 still. And so he went to implement it and had some uh, some major differences in the in the way they work. 
And so apparently the documentation for Lucy and Cold Fusion both line up, so they look the same. But the way that yeah. the ancestral levels work is very different. And um, so, I mean, basically what he's doing is trying to get the, you know, some some parent type information out of the his custom tags. And so he explains it pretty well. Lucy ancestral levels is basically uh, the number of custom tags in the hierarchy to skip before starting to search for the given tag name. Um, whereas uh, Cold Fusion ancestry levels is the instance number of the given tag to return while traversing it. So one would return the first instance and two would return the second instance where the other one is it's basically would it start looking the parent or the parent parent. So just a little difference, but again, you know, I thought it'd be good to, to spotlight. There are differences and uh, yeah, you don't really know half of them until you run into something like this. So. Oh yeah. So again, but uh, in the the comments, which I th was nice too, uh, he was talking about um, you know updating docs for Lucy for the compatibility note, and so Zach helped him uh, get to the right place. So hopefully there'll be a note in there. So next time someone runs into this, uh, the documentation should help them. So pretty cool. Okay, now this one I thought would be a a neat one for you since you like. Well, I don't know if you like the Elvis operator, but uh, <laughs> this is a neat yeah. little trick. <laughs> when it works. Yeah. When it works, right? Yep. So Ben yeah, Nadell. I, I, I think, uh, unfortunately, Adobe has maybe hate the, the Elvis operator because they introduced it in 2016 and never worked. 2018, it kind of worked. So I basically can't I use it on any of our libraries because I never know what I'm going to get. Right? So, uh, but it is powerful when it works. Yep. Yeah, and so basically with this one here, um, what he's doing is some basic sort of pagination type approach. And so he's got previous letter and next letter and like an array. And but basically what he's doing is he's using just to check and see if it's a valid, uh, you know, place. So if you're basically uh, at the end of the array and you try and do the, the next item, it's not going to be valid, right? And so using the Elvis operator, he can basically just default it to letters.first. So in other words, you go back to the start of the array if you're already at the end. If you're at the beginning of the array and you try and put, do a, new, uh, a previous and you've got like a zero index, then obviously that'll, you know, basically not work. And so then you'll get, you'll go to the end of the array. So I just, yeah, one of the use cases I never even thought about for it, but, you know, and so... Yeah. yeah, the Elvis operator for me is a fantastic construct, uh, like I said, when it works. Uh, and the cool thing is that you can even chain it. So uh, that's also very useful because you can create these chains of expressions where, you know, if this is null, then move here. And if also this is null, then move here, right? So um, it does give you that power. Yeah. But like I said, if you're in Adobe 2016 and 2018, I would say avoid it. Um, and I know, and in previous Lucy versions, I think finally Lucy 5, Three eight three seven. Sorry, I think it's one day. Uh, I finally covered the majority of the use cases, but uh, it, it's been a real pain for me <laughs> to use. Yeah, for sure. So, yep, that was like I said, a good little use case I hadn't thought of. And then here's another Very one. Nice. I, I really like that. Yeah, and then here's another one that uh, Ben wrote about a pro tip using the say voice synthesis command after a long running task. So this was kind of a little, a little efficiency hack one. And so basically 
you know, he's got a little video for it, which is neat, but he's working in a CLI. And so sometimes these jobs take a while or whatnot. And so basically he put a say command at the end of it and he uses like a little alias too. So basically when the CLI command is done, it'll actually say something to you. So I think Brad, we should add something <laughs> into, uh, you know, into our base, into command box. That'll actually tell you when a, one of your task runners is complete, if you want to, and that way, you know, when it's done, well, <laughs> this is a, a Mac things, right? So I don't know if this exists in Linux or, or Windows, but in the Mac, it, it's, it's great because you can do this. You can change the voice. You can do all that stuff. So, you know, and I think that's the power of command box, right? Where we can, it can actually tap into the operating system binaries and just use whatever is in the operating system. Yeah. Uh, I know there's going to be a Java, you know, Java component somewhere that we can use if you're on Windows as well, though, because it could be kind of fun. But yeah. It's one of those things, multitasking, you've got a, a task running. When it's done, you need to go do something else. So a little voice trigger, pretty neat. So I liked it. I, I really enjoyed it. I think I'm going to be adding it. Thanks for sharing. <laughs> <laughs> Too funny. So I'm next. I'm going to be adding these to my test box runners. Yep. So the next one is another one from, uh, from Brad. And so this is actually, have you taken the State of the Union survey? Obviously, we already talked about this a little bit, but here's an example of the type of data that we can get out of this survey. Um, and so if you, those of you watching, you can see, otherwise you can check out the blog post, but you know, which version of CFML engine do you use? And you're meant to check all that, you know, apply. So it's kind of interesting that 2021 has, you know, almost got 40 people out of the 200 respondents that are already using it. See if 2018 is uh, almost half the people are using that. Lucy, we have over half, and obviously you can check more than once. So, but you can look at the wow. different versions too. So you can see, like, CF10 and 11, they've still got a decent number of people using it. You know, CF11, yeah. So this is the type of information you can get out of it. And obviously, there's a, a lot of things. And if you look through our blog post too, uh, we have stuff from last year. So if you want to check out 2020s, uh, you can see the results from that as well. So, uh, but I just want to spotlight that little graph there. I thought it was neat. Okay, and then, so next up, we have a guide um, for Lucy, installing and running Lucy with command box in Ubuntu 20.04. Oh, gosh, I feel ancient that the versions just <laughs> keep on flying, man. 20? I know. We're already at 20? We're already at 20, man. Oh, great. Actually, Orchus HQ is running on 20, so, yeah. Yep, so... So yeah, so this one here is kind of nice. So they do have a video too, so you can actually uh, skip a first couple of steps. But this is basically a, sort of an you know an old school server install. You're still using command box with you know with Lucy, but sort of goes through the different steps. And so this is one of their recommendations. Obviously, each to their own. But uh, I just like the the walkthrough kind of guides. You know, sometimes you still need that. Um, but I mean, they're using SSH forwarding as well. Um, you know, setting up the JDK. Now, I wonder, let's see. Okay, they're using the Debian install. Okay. But yeah, so they, they walk through the steps here. So this is pretty good. And obviously this is part of their doc. So, uh, you know, if you find something that you want to add to it or, or whatnot, we can always, uh, you know, make a pull request and update that too. So... So Brad should probably look this over, make sure that it's up to Brad levels of standards. Um, but yeah, so it's a it's a nice to sort of see this whole walkthrough process. 
because uh, not everyone uses Docker, right, Luis? <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. It's, it's the more guides, the better, right? So everybody has their own workflows. Everybody has their own approaches. So everybody does it differently. So it's great to see the different flavors of people, how they do it. And you, you always learn, you know, um, you always learn from, from these approaches and something that you can integrate into your own approach. So I, I really enjoy these guides. Yep. So we also have a tweet from Brad. So he gives out a couple of Lucy tricks. So did you know about this one, Luis? That you can pass a Java input stream into two string and get back a single stream without having to loop over the stream manually? No, I thought that was pretty fantastic. I, I know I used the two string method um, time. I actually was using it um, a few days ago because I was building the content box uh, REST API and I was getting these uh, Boolean cannot cast string to Boolean exceptions and it was driving me nuts, you know? And the, the issue was that when the JSON gets deserialized, and there's a true there or a false, it actually, uh, you know, casts it to a native Java Boolean. And when you're trying to then populate an ORM object with those values and send them to be saved, um, hybrid basically considers those as Booleans. So it was so bizarre. And then obviously the two string method comes to the rescue, right? So basically it's a glorified cast and, uh, but, we gotta have to check the source code and see what other kind of magic it's doing. <laughs> wow, yeah. Actually, funnily enough, you mentioned the true false stuff. Uh, there's some uh, another tweet from James Moberg about that in a minute. But uh, the other tip was you can, you know, arrays can be dereferenced as like array and then in square bracket 42 to get the item, and that's pretty common. But you can also use array dot. And then the number 42. So the dot or the array notation actually works. And they both work the same. Interesting. Kind of interesting. Not, not that worked, actually. Yeah. The the dot 42 was, I, I never would have thought about that. Thought it would have freaked out for having a number first in the, in the <laughs> but no, that works. And so, uh, yeah, we'll tweet from Brad. Um, and then we'll just jump forward one real quick to talk about James Moberg's yes, no versus true, false. And I have actually personally been bitten by this one, so that's why it really <laughs> stood out to me. So I want to mention it. But uh, so in ColdFusion, yes and no strings are allegedly treated the same as Boolean values, but Boolean values are not uh, yes, no. So <laughs> yeah. basically, this one I think it's only because of the CF CF HTTP. I haven't seen it in a lot of other places, but this is one place for sure. So basically, if you're you know, there's a I don't even remember what the value is for. Is it for secure? I'm not sure, but basically, if you if you use yes and no CFHTTP for one of the attributes, works fine. But if you use true or false, it will throw an error at you. You basically have to use Whoa. you have to use the yes no format on a boolean value. Uh, you can't use true or false. You have to say yes or no. And That's it was on one of the attributes on the CFHTTP, um, and so. Yeah, but basically his workaround will say, yeah, make sure you use the yes, no format function to make sure it's not a true false. Isn't that crazy? So That is crazy, man. So I'm not sure if that because it ties straight into something else, but the funny thing is you'd think if it was, you'd need a true false, not a yes or a no. But anyway. Okay. So back to Matthew Clemente, and this kind of ties into Brad's one too, something you, you, I didn't know if you could do elsewhere. I guess you'll have to verify for me in a minute here, Louise. 
But did you know that if you want to order by columns in Postgres, you can just say order by one descending and then comma two, and it will take the first and the second from your select Uh statement. And so if you want to group by, you can just do group by one, two, three, four, five, six, and it'll group by those fields. You don't have to write out the names of them all, um, et cetera. So you can just, yeah, just use the number of the column in your select statement, and you can use that for group bys and orders. That is cool. Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah, I thought that was pretty neat too. Again, that's another one I found out with Postgres, but I don't know if that one's in um in other ones. So yeah, it's just really pretty quick when you're doing some SQL. And then uh, Scott said that actually does work in most SQL databases and even query of queries as well. So there you go. So one of those things we just didn't know we didn't know. So again, if you want to find out more, Matthew Clemente's blog has all of that in there. Pretty neat. That is very sweet. I'm actually going through it. I'm like, I could have used that. Up. <laughs> yep. Instead of putting the right ones, right? Yeah, for sure. Especially when you got some complicated, you know, select statements. Yeah. And then next up, we have one that we missed a couple of weeks back from uh, Will de Bruin, de Bruhein. Sorry, I'm trying to say it right. Honestly. Bruhein. Um, <laughs> oh my gosh. So this is using command box Lucy for production. And so uh, this one here, um, Will had some some issues basically. And so he wanted to just spotlight some of the things you may not know about command box and how it works a little differently. And so, um, yeah, so this blog post, um, like he said, he said before this, you know, up to recently, you know, he would always, you know, recommend saying, yep, command box and production, no problem. But this blog post just sort of highlights a couple of the issues he ran into. And um, so we just want to make sure that we're clear because command box is a little different than a normal server install, you know. And so we want to be sort of clear about about that there. And uh, uh, obviously... Yeah, I think that that's very important to distinguish the, the differences, right? Because we go on the premise of servers as cattle, right? where things can be destroyed at any point in time and you get a new server, right? That's the whole magic of, of command box, right? But yeah. when you start using it for production, obviously there are, there are you know, these caveats, right? And I know Will was trying to, to update and the settings were lost. And, you know, in reality, when you, when you do a server update, that, that server is gone, right? It's, it's removed, it's deleted, right? Yeah. And, and then you have to basically install a new version that's patched Right, but obviously you have to recreate what you did, right? And and that's a, a tricky part. And 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 I think we have to do a better job of explaining that in the docs in a more bold manner, right? Yeah. Because if you just want to patch, and another uh, issue might be like if you have the specific version of 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 the engine in your in your in your box.json, that also will do an auto update for you, right? So you have to be very explicit on which version and even bill number to pin it, right? Yep. For example, on our Docker images, we actually do the full pin, right? We, we're pinning to 537, right? And then when there's a new version, right? We actually build a new Docker image, which the new version, let's say 538, and we make sure that all the things and that there's no regressions, right? Uh, yeah. But that's because we live in, in our Docker world. But if you're not living in a Docker world and just using it for, for production, Right, uh, these caveats exist. Right, obviously it's not a perfect tool. Right, but uh, yeah. you have to be aware of because it, it it definitely bit Will in the butt. Right, and uh, and obviously yeah. that's not something nice. 
um, and, you know, especially when, the, you know, you have system admins doing, you know, this kind of stuff and, you know, you know, system admins, they always complain about everything, right? They just want the easy button for everything, right? Yeah. Uh, but but one, uh, yeah, one thing I, I though, totally... one thing though, when you said you pinned it to 5.3.7, and that's one of the things Will points out here is if they release a, a build 537 build 48, It'll actually update. So you need to oh, pin. Oh yeah, it will change. Yeah, you need to pin that yeah, plus forty seven as well. Yeah, exactly. So oh yeah, and so that's something and, and, that that yeah that yeah, and, can and, bite you. And you know, and the same thing with Docker. If you have your Docker, you know, saying five three seven, when Docker starts, it's going to update to the that new version every single time too. So your Docker images might be slow, and you're like, why are they so slow? That's because it's updating, you know. So there, there are some, you know. There's obviously benefits to command box, but there are some, um, you know, some are some negatives like that. And um, you know, and in the chat, Scott's talking about using like a, a box lock or a packers lock type thing, and we've talked about that. And that's the other thing we wanted to mention with this blog yeah, post we've too. Yeah, we talked about is, it, and and I think it's getting more momentum into getting built. Obviously, it won't be exactly like package lock. Package lock does things differently, but we have had this conversation for quite some time now. Right, um, because it, it, and here's another issue. This, this is, this is, this is because of the package manager, right? The package manager goes on semantic versioning, right? And there's a lot of semantic versioning constructs that tell you, hey, bring me the latest major, bring me the latest minor, bring me the latest patch, bring me the latest build, right? All this is part of the semantic release of the package manager itself. So this not only applies to the engine, which is in itself a package, but it applies to anything that is a package in box.json. So if you want to pin things, you got to pin them to the right build number, right? Uh, because if not, then basically there is a potential to, to basically do auto installs of things that you don't want. And this goes for any package manager. That's just the way it is, right? So the, the resolution for NPM was to introduce a package lock where things can be locked until you actually remove it and then you can actually do these kinds of locks. So we are in the, in the process of introducing these box locks Right, so you don't you don't have to be worrying about these things. You can actually just have that file, right? That locks the versions that you're using. But uh, just as a caveat, this this is the way the package managers work, right? Uh, you just have to know that it's not very something straightforward uh, for it, and we, I think we have to do a better job in our in our in our documentation to to just advise people more about these features, right? Because these features become issues for for certain people when they're using them. Right. And so I definitely, definitely, it's important to know the pinning. Right. I, I, and here's a, a very interesting story. So also Will doesn't feel bad where we, we get the pain. So on the earlier versions of ForgeBox, when we're dealing with all these package managers and all the stuff that we're dealing with, we're like, oh, this is so cool. This is so amazing. Right. We use ForgeBox to build ForgeBox. We got to a point of an endless loop, Gavin. I don't know if you remember this. Oh, right? I remember Where this Fort one. <laughs> was down for like a day. And mostly it was because of Fusion Reactor, actually. So not that Fusion Reactor was failing, but we hadn't locked Fusion Reactor and pinned it to the right version. So every time we actually started ForgeBox again, right? ForgeBox was down. Like all the containers had, 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 had gone down. So then basically we're in this endless loop where ForgeBox could never go up because it was trying to get to ForgeBox to get Fusion Reactor to start up the engine. Oh my God, it was nuts. So we've learned our lessons the really painful way. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. And so there's, I mean, there was something else uh, in the blog post I want to highlight too. So um, 
like you said, when you start a new server, it installs a new server. And so it's like starting right. from scratch and like see if config is really good where it'll, it'll load up your settings into your server automatically. But if someone logs into the old Lucy admin and changes things, there's no way to get those settings e easily. So what, you know, what Ville was saying is you have to basically use CF config to export your current Lucy settings exactly, out yeah. and then import them in. I mean, you could have, you know, we could build a little, we talked about doing stuff where it auto exports out all the time, but then when you do that, you get every setting that's in Lucy. And yeah. so then you've like, you got hundreds and hundreds of lines to look for the right one. And so yeah. there's just things to know, like, you know, usually what we sort of do is we don't touch the Lucy admin once you deploy a Docker one, because you know it's going to disappear. Exist. Yeah, we, yeah. And, and I think that's part of the operating procedure, right, Gavin? So yeah. in all reality, for us, there is no admin, right? Yep. There is no way to change things. Right? Yep. The only way to change things is through the CF config file. So that means a redeploy. And, and, and yes, it cannot be straightforward for, for folks. Um, that are relying on the way the cool fusion has worked for you know thousands of years, right? Which is you go to the admin, you do your changes, your tweaks, and then everything works. And then to recreate that has always been a pain. That that's why we we, we built cfconfig, right? So, but yeah, that's that's a very good point, Gavin, because that bites you hard, right? Well, somebody comes in, makes these small tweaks to make things work and everything, and they expect that to always be the same. And this bites you, right? It bites you because, um, you know, that's the whole point of these, uh, of this approach, right? Which is the cattle approach, right? It's the, that gets destroyed, a new one comes in, right? You repopulate it with all the new stuff and there it goes. But uh, yeah, so very important caveats. Taking my notes here as well, so we can make sure that we can go through some of the docs and make sure we, 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 we put these as warnings, right? Because yeah. people are used yeah. to the old approaches, right? Uh, they might not be used to the new approaches. And it, it, if you don't have that operating procedure in place, then it, it bites you. Yeah. And that was one of the things we'll, we'll sit in the blog post too, is that, you know, system and sys admins don't read all this very specific issues. You know, they don't know how command box works. They don't know the differences. And that's mm -hmm. why a lot of people yeah. are moving towards Docker because it kind of encapsulates all that. It handles all that. And then you give a Docker image to a sysadmin, it's easy, right? I mean, because it yeah. behaves like all other Docker admin uh, uh, containers. Yeah. Unless yes. you don't pin the Fusion Reactor version, Gavin. Well, <laughs> okay. But still, uh, they can start and stop it. If it breaks, they contact you, I guess. But anyway, I mean, the, the, I other, the other issue that we've also been discussing internally is, you know, when you upgrade a server, um, you know, you have to have things just right if you're using extensions that have licenses as well. And so that was another issue that Will ran into. And I mean, and yeah, basically the licenses, um, we sort of have two sets of licenses, right? Louise, I'll let you explain more, but we basically have like single server licenses and then we have like Docker container like licenses. So the single server one, when you start it up, you, you know, you basically activate the license and then you're good. And then with the Docker ones, you know, it starts up and shuts down and there's a lot more communication going on. And, and that allows for more activations and deactivations on a Docker license. But because of the way command box works, if you upgrade your command box, um, Lucy version, it does a whole new fresh install for the server. So it's like a whole new activation for the, for the activation license. So we've been, you know, inter yeah, internally this, talking about this. Yeah, this has been going on for, and I help Will with, with this issue. And, and you know, li licensing is not easy, 
you know, when we did it with Brad, the whole licensing modules for Ortos, I mean, they're pain. And we actually try to do the, the, mo the more constrained approach of not calling home all the time and you know, going crazy with, you know, licensing and all that. But it's still hard. It, it is definitely hard. And that's the issue, right? The, the license is actually created out of the Lucy identifiers, right? So it's, it's bound to that specific instance, right? Because we are licensed on a specific Lucy instance. And if that Lucy instance gets destroyed or upgraded, right, in the command box approach, it's a new server, right? So the license basically borks because it's like, hey, I'm not activated for this new server. Right? So that's when we introduced uh, the Docker activation approach where, you know, we could pre-activate a license so it could be used on multiple Lucy IDs, right, uh, without, you know, getting into this issue, right? So that's not the issue that will hit is basically the, the license was not, you know, it was a new server. So it complained and it's like, you know, you're not, you have to redo the whole process, right? So we had to get with Bill and, and basically go through the whole Docker activation process because he's destroying, you know, bringing servers up through the updates, right? Now um, you can also, as a reminder, you can also update Lucy by just dropping a jar, right? In, in the patches and that will update it as well, right? So yeah. you don't have to use the command box update if you don't want. If you don't want things to change, you don't have to, right? Yeah. You can go into the admin and update it through the admin, and you're done, right? So and that, that's what I ended up you doing. Now so. are relying on that, right? Yeah. So that's the thing. It's just yeah, and developers, like you said, it's easy for us, but there's a few more complications when you're doing production, and so you know. And so Bill, Bill sort of highlights a lot of the ones they hit. And, you know, he says it's a wonderful tool, but if you're losing it for production service, you need to know what you're doing. And, you know, then things get a little more complicated. So, yep. So, yeah, again. I, it's a, I think it always goes down to an operating procedure, right? Because when you were dealing with Adobe Cold Fusion 10 years ago, you had a certain procedures. When you're dealing with them now, it's a different procedure, right? Yeah. And when you're using Command Box, you have to have another procedure. So, uh, I, as you know, I'm a big fan of these operating procedures or SOPs as we call them. And, you know, and you have to go through them and know what you're doing to build those SOPs and then be able to assign them. So <laughs> I'm pretty sure Bill has already created tons of uh, SOPs now uh, that he's been sending to the system admins. And yeah. Uh, Yep, and so he has a he has a process and has a solution, and like I said, it's it's burned on a few more things internally about how to to make this work better. You know, like he's not the first person to have some issues with it, obviously, but um, but yeah, yeah exactly. So, yep, but uh, thanks for the feedback. You know, we we appreciate it. And oh, and the, he said there's other things like the locational log files and configs are not standard on Linux, and a few other things. And I know that you can change the server home directory by uh, you know setting it in your server at JSON, and there's other things like that. But uh, but again, you have to know, yeah. right? If you don't, if you don't know, you don't know. Yeah. And so, and it's also very customizable, right? So yeah. you know, it kind of sometimes will go down to we try to make it easy for folks and just drop it in the home folder for command box. But you can you can you can partition it and you know do your own and but then you have to document that as well right yeah. you have to have a procedure of where things are going to be located and yeah. and sometimes making those decisions are hard right it's like you know yeah. where do I where do I put it do I just leave it as is so I yeah I, I so. totally get it but yeah I mean it's a good blog post to identify some of those things and make sure you're accounting for them otherwise you might face similar issues so. Okay, yes, well, sure. we're running long today, so let me jump to the next one. Let's find a job.
So we have uh, two new jobs available up on getcfmljobs.com. We have a full-time Cofusion developer in Bengaluru, Karnataka, India. And that was posted May 15th. And we also have a full-time Cofusion developer, four to six years of experience, I assume. And that's Mumbai and Bangalore, India. And that was posted on May 11th too. So if you get go to getcfmljobs.com, uh, you can see those there. And uh, we also have something from Audis too, right, Luis? Yeah, so this is something that I, it was happened today in the morning in our tactical meeting. So we are looking right now for a senior uh, Cofusion developer, uh, or actually a senior developer. I don't care about the Cofusion portions. I just care that they're awesome developers. Uh, and uh, yeah, so we're going to be posting that pretty soon on the Ortos website and start our our rounds of interviews for folks. But we're we're growing, we're expanding, and. You know, we're in need of awesome developers. So if you're listening and you're interested in building tools and changing the world with us, then just apply. You can you can email at info at orchardsolutions.com and we'll, we'll start the interview processes. Our interview processes are pretty strenuous. Um, so maybe we can even do a whole podcast on this, Gavin, but <laughs> we're very, very picky. Uh, we're very um, extremely detail-oriented when it comes to interviews. We have almost five to six filters of interviews. Uh, it's a long process, lots of exams, lots of tests, and uh, we're sure that that people can adapt not only to our culture, which is you know extremely fast-paced of all the tools that we're building, right? So, But we also want to make sure that it's uh, the right fit. And so, but... You know, we're definitely in the lookout right now. So if you're a senior developer and you really want to build really awesome tools and, and just create and change our, our Cofusion ecosystem, then please apply uh, info at orchardsolutions.com and we'll get you started on the interview process. Uh, yes, unfortunately, right now for these some of these um, positions that were open, uh, you have to be either a U.S. citizen, U.S. resident or green card holder. Unfortunately. Yep. Yeah, there's even a few projects I can't work on just because of different clearances and stuff as well. There's a, uh, you know, we get some interesting clients too. So, yeah, it's 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 fun working for Audis. I can't say enough about it. So, if you're interested, please check that out, and then we'll get the full listing out there as well. So, okay. <laughs> yep. Okay, so next up we have our Forgebox module of the week. And this week is a, a brand new one by Scott Steinberg. We're doing the command box convert. So this actually takes uh takes a little bit of the the power from the, the SQL command we mentioned earlier, but command box convert is a module for working with Excel and CSV data, and it uses the amazing Lucy spreadsheet created by Julian Halliwell, which he's always rolling up updates too, so it's working pretty neat. But uh allows you to, to handle some common use cases for working like table like data from csv excel or any other uh, json like uh, things so arrays array of arrays array of structs uh, you know json file type stuff and so you can convert um, several different formats let me bring up the website for those watching so on forgebox you can see it converts csvs to serialized query for use in piping to other commands converts table to uh, data to excel um, to CSV, to JSON, PDF. Um, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty neat. And so he's got some examples down here, uh, but you can see that SQL command in, in here as well. So you can basically take something and then actually, um, you know, basically take it 
do a query on it and then export it to CSV or XLS, you know, JSON. And, and here you have a command where he takes an input file, uh, row, first row's header is true, then he selects the ID and name, then he exports it to cities and, you know, outputs an Excel file. And then you, where the name is not equal to, to Tom and then exports it to a POI list. So pretty neat type of, you know, command line love functionality. It. Yeah. Yeah. I love these kinds of tools. So I know Scott has been kicking it, man, with all these additions and contributions to command box. So thank you so much, Scott. We really appreciate it, man. And yeah, keep, keep, keep creating cool stuff, man. We, we really need it. We really need people building all these cool modules and contributing um, to our ecosystem. We definitely need it. Yeah. That's why we like to spotlight them here on the, the show too. Cause you know, like that might be something you'd need, but you'd never know existed unless you looked at it or watched the podcast. So, so yeah, so very cool. And then something else, our VS code hint tip and trick of the week. Um, you know, this is something that you told me about and it's been in this product since 2019 and I didn't even know about it. So, <laughs> so yeah, so basically there's a screencast mode built into VS code and I've seen it. I didn't even know, but I've seen it before and just didn't realize, but so, yeah, I mean, you want to tell us a little bit about this? Yeah, I, I use it all the time now for for build. You know, when I'm doing the screencasts, actually. So it highlights your mouse, it makes it bigger, it gives you nice little effects, and highlights your code. Uh, and all these neat little things when you that you need basically, or that multiple editing tools, you know, give you like Camtasia after the fact, right? But this is actually doing it uh, within, you know, just using VS Code. So really recommend that if you're building screencasts or even if you're just presenting code reviews with your with your fellow developers, go into screencast mode, just you know, press Alt Shift, uh, you know, Command Shift P, go and say screencast, and you can toggle it in and out, and you'll see it's it's pretty cool. Uh, I use it all the time for my screencasts or code reviews with the team. Really recommend it. Yep, I'm sharing the link here to one of the videos where someone just walks through it, but it's kind of cool. It highlights your mouse too when you're clicking and, and moving around and then the typing. And then there's even settings too. So if you want the the font size to be bigger or smaller for the letters you're typing, it'll stay on the screen longer or whatnot. But uh, yeah, pretty cool little you know tip there. And yeah, I'll definitely be using that when I make some more screencasts and uh, when we're presenting at conferences and whatnot. Definitely, definitely sounds like a, a big winner there, so. Very cool. So last but not least, we want to thank our awesome Patreon sponsors. Again, we mentioned without them, we wouldn't be able to make this podcast. And uh, they're supporting this podcast, but also our other products, Command Box, Forge Box, Cold Box, Test Box, all the other boxes, um, you know, like all the cloud infrastructure that, you know, Forge Box, Package Management, Command Box stuff relies on is all paid through Audis. And this is supporting Audis do those types of things. So uh, you can find out more on patreon.com slash Solutions. And remember, now you have perks as being a Patreon supporter. There's your own private forum access on the community website. It's on the Audis community site. And you even have a special little profile badge on the community website too. And as you mentioned earlier in the show, you got for bronze packages and up, you can now get a Forgebox Pro account for free and a CFCast subscription for free, all because you're a bronze package Patreon supporter. So pretty cool. And your guess is where did I? Where did he go? Should be there, you guess. They remove you. Well, this picture—if you're watching the video—the picture on there, 
may not have been updated as often as the actual main site. Uh, but if you go to, uh, if you oh, go to, yeah, if you go to autosolutions.com slash about dash us slash sponsors, you will see uh, all the pretty faces for those who provided images. Yep. And then uh, we have a, a pretty big list of people here. So Luis, you want to read the names or should I try? Sure, sure, sure. Why don't we, why don't we do half? We'll do half, right? Okay, you but, go first. Um, yeah, I just want to thank everybody for doing the, the Patreon. So it, it, we really use it for all the open source that we do, and we do a lot of open source. We definitely want to make sure that we can empower everybody in the community. And uh, every every little bit helps, for sure. Um, almost funded this whole podcast, uh, the you know episode 104, which is incredible. Great job, Gavin. And... Uh, and now the subscriptions, right? So we got Forgebox and CFCast and new Forgebox is coming. Uh, you already saw the sneak preview. And so you're gonna get even more. So very excited. So thank you, Don Bellamy, Eric Hoffman, David Belanger, Gary Knight, Giancarlo Gomez, JC, Jonathan Perret, Mario Rodriguez, Jeffrey McGee, John Wilson from Synaptrix, uh, Yogesh Matur, there you see, you're there, Yogesh, Joseph Lamery, Ben Nadal, and then I'll give it to Mr. Gavin. Finish out the core line. Okay. What was the last one you said? Sorry, I was just responding to the chat. Ben Nadal. Nadal. Oh, Ben Nadal. Nadal. Yep. So Brett Deline, Calvin Stan, Charlie Earhart, Dan Card, Daniel Garcia, Tadila Snicky, Edgardo Cabezas, Jan Yannick, Jason Diger, Jeff McLean, Jeremy Adams. Jonas Erickson, man, this list is long. <laughs> Jordan Clark, <laughs> Kai Koenig, Laxma Tirohari, and then Leon Saramelis, Matthew Darby, Matthew Comente, Mingo Hagen, Patrick Flynn, Ross Phillips, Scott Steinbeck, Stephanie Monji, S- Stephen Klotz, and Will DeBruhan. If I said it right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, but yeah, so thanks everybody. And sorry for anyone who doesn't fit on the picture for the Patreon thing. I'll have to add a couple more rows or something or columns to make them all fit. Uh, Yogesh, we love you. Uh, you're still on the list, but <laughs> you're just not in the picture. Sorry. But yeah, thanks Maybe everybody. We put just a, a, big, a picture of Yogesh's mustache. Awesome <laughs> mustache. Yeah, for sure. But uh, yeah, thank you everybody. We really appreciate you guys tuning in, watching live in the chat, or uh, listening via podcast. And uh, yeah, we appreciate all your Patreon supporters and everyone else who supports us with blog posts and bug fixes and you know documentation. Everything helps. Everything counts. Uh, but yeah, go subscribe to YouTube though because we want to hit that five hundred, right, Luis? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Go subscribe. Go subscribe. Yep. Like and subscribe. Hit the little bell notification. <laughs> Anyways, uh, thanks everybody. Uh, have a great week, and uh, we'll see you next week. Well, folks. Bye bye. Bye. Show notes for this episode can be found at cfmlnews.modernizeordie.io, where you can also subscribe to your favorite podcast player like Spotify or iTunes. We also have the link to YouTube to find more videos just like this. The music used in this podcast is under a royalty-free license from Sound.com and Blue Tree Audio.